Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, August 9th, 2023, the 931st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So if in addition to listening to this show, you are a fan of Badlands, then you are probably familiar with the show I do every Tuesday night with my pal Burning Bright. The show's called Badlands Story Hour. And each week we assign a movie for the next week. We watch that movie and then we discuss that movie and how it relates to what's going on in the real world in the process of this awakening 
And as we attempt to reinterpret the world in light of all this new information that, for whatever reason, was obscured to us for so long. Last night, we covered the 1997 film Wag the Dog, starring Robert De Niro and Anne Heche and Dustin Hoffman. And the movie is about a political operator who is trying to distract the American public from a sex scandal that is breaking out with the sitting president in the days leading up to an election. And to distract the public, they decide to, quote unquote, start a war. And by starting a war, what they are actually attempting to do is just sell the story of a war to the American public, convince the public that the war is happening, tell them an engrossing, captivating story, and that will take their attention away from what is happening in the Oval Office. As far as the American public is concerned, there is a real war going on. There is a conflict in Albania, but in reality, there is nothing. And of course, other political players, the CIA, for instance, know that there is no real conflict in Albania. They know there's no chance of a real conflict in Albania, and they know that the story going out is being faked. So they plant the story that the war is over another level of fakeness to the story. And in response, this Washington, D.C. political operator who has joined forces with a Hollywood producer adds another level of fakeness with this soldier caught behind enemy lines to maintain the public's focus on this war drama that they have created out of nothing using all of the tricks in Hollywood. They stage photo shoots. They have recordings of songs that are supposed to kind of unite Americans around this very important cause, attach people to it emotionally. And there are all sorts of twists and turns about how the story develops and what they have to layer on to keep the lie going and to keep the public's focus on anything but the scandal in the Oval Office. Now, the impact of this film has always been interesting because people understand on some level this is actually how it works. They can tell us virtually anything, and if the people believe it, then the people react to it. And in some sense, it becomes real in the world, despite the fact that there is nothing real about the event. It has been made up from the ground up. But the idea is that if people think it's real, then it is real. Wars are fought to replace the leadership of a country, to change the balance of power between countries. And in the world of this film, that balance can be changed through the story of a war, a made-up war, just as it can be changed through an actual war. Why would anyone need to expend all the money and the ammunition, all the equipment and the lives fighting an actual war if you can achieve the same results just by telling the public about a war that does not exist at all? So we have an idea about this, an understanding about this. We have a sense of the mechanics of it and how it would and could work. We just don't believe that it actually happens. And we have a tendency to think that about a wide variety of issues. But on some level, we kind of believe that we couldn't possibly be tricked. Like, sure, this could happen, but it doesn't happen. If it did happen, we would know about it. Because we understand the concept. We could recognize this in reality if it was to happen. 
But the point is that we really couldn't and we really shouldn't be confident in our ability to pick out the fake news from the real news. We can't even be completely confident that there is real news because a lot of what we are told doesn't actually have to be connected to real events in any way. If we carefully examine the way we form these thoughts, the way we form these beliefs, if we try to substantiate every last part of them, we will often find that at the bottom, there's nothing. There's not really proof of any of it. And so we do our best to pay attention to the right things. We try to figure out to the extent it's possible, what's real. And then we begin to build our worldview around that understanding of what is actually real. And if we are fully learning the lessons of this time, we will realize eventually that we can't be certain any of it is. Now, again, this movie came out at the end of 1997. So that is almost 26 years ago. And the movie was created, of course, in advance of that. It was adapted from a 1993 novel. And so naturally, the idea arose in the writer's mind well before that. So this is a concept that is at least 30 years old at this point. And so it's worth giving some thought as to what has changed since then. In the early 90s, there were far fewer channels and the internet was just in its early stages. Most people did not have computers at their houses with modems. They couldn't log onto the internet and research things. All of that behavior was in its infancy. If you did have a computer and you could sign online through AOL or one of those other services, you were working with a dial-up internet. Things would take forever to load. It was nothing like it is now where the world's information is just at our fingertips within seconds. So back then, people basically believed the central narrative because that was all they had access to. They were receiving the central narrative from a variety of sources. They would have it marketed to them in different ways based on their political leanings. But for the most part, everybody agreed that the underlying events were true. They must be true. They were being shown these events. And no one likes to assume that they are being lied to all the time and cannot tell the difference between fact and fiction. Recognizing that we are unable to distinguish between reality and something someone made up makes us feel helpless and stupid. And so we avoid even considering it. We think to ourselves, well, I must know this thing. This thing has to be true. But does it really? In those 30 years, we have improved immeasurably our access to information, the speed at which we can access information. And we have developed habits that have us consuming information all day, every day. Having more information makes us feel smarter. It makes us feel better informed. And when we feel smarter and better informed, we feel like we are more equipped to discern reality from fiction. But are we? It's hard to say. Within the last year and a half in the Russia-Ukraine situation, we have been shown absolutely preposterous things by the mainstream media. We were told about the ghost of Kyiv, this ace fighter pilot for Ukraine who was just shooting down Russian jets all day long. And it turned out that the footage of the ghost of Kyiv was actually from a video game. We were told that 
Russia executed a group of soldiers on Snake Island who disrespected the Russian troops when they first arrived. But none of that was true. We had the woman, the young woman escaping the maternity hospital with her swaddled baby in her arms clutched to her chest as she fled the Russian cluster bombs that we were then told represented a war crime, even though we're now told that the fake president Joe Biden is sending cluster bombs over to Ukraine and that they desperately need those illegal weapons to defeat the Russians, which they obviously will never do. And it's funny because the photo shoot for that young woman with that baby escaping the maternity hospital is almost the exact same shot from the movie Wag the Dog, where they show a young girl escaping the rubble with her cat. It's just fake story after fake story after fake story. So when does it become real? Well, it's really hard to determine that. There are some shortcuts. There are ways to at least feel like you're reliably on track most of the time. But you always have to keep that uncomfortable suspicion in the back of your head that the whole thing might be fake. And that's a very disconcerting feeling to have. But it's also a reminder that you can't actually know that these things happening on the other side of the world are real. And while it's important to do our best to figure out what's real and what's not, and to understand things as best we can and connect them to what matters in our own lives, the real focus should be on what's close to us and what's around us, the things we know we're connecting to in reality, because sometimes that dividing line gets genuinely hazy. The Wikipedia entry on the movie Wag the Dog notes that the political phrase Wag the Dog used to indicate that attention is purposely being diverted from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. The idiom stems from the 1870s. In a local paper, the Daily Republican, quote, calling to mind Lord Dundreary's conundrum, the Baltimore American thinks that for the Cincinnati Convention to control the Democratic Party would be the tail wagging the dog. The phrase then and now indicates a backward situation in which a small and seemingly unimportant entity, the tail, controls a bigger, more important one, the dog. It was again used in the 1960s. The film became a reality the year after it was released due to the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. Days after the scandal broke, President Bill Clinton ordered missile strikes against two countries, Afghanistan and Sudan. During his impeachment proceedings, Clinton also bombed Iraq, drawing further wag-the-dog accusations, and with the scandal still on the public's mind in March 1999, his administration launched a bombing campaign against Yugoslavia. And there are also those who say that the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal itself was to distract and divert from other Clinton scandals, like, for instance, the murder of Vince Foster. Now, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal was the only story anyone talked about for a pretty long time. I was a teenager at that point, so I wasn't paying a ton of attention to politics, but you still pick up the public conversation. Even back in the late 90s, it was just the sort of thing that everyone was aware of. It led to the impeachment of a president. 
Could that scandal have existed to cover up something else? Sure. Could the stories about those various bombings have been used to cover up the Lewinsky thing? Sure. It would be nice to say that we know for sure and we could have never been tricked by any of this, but that's just not true. We could get tricked by all sorts of things, and we do. And so we find ourselves following these stories as if they're real, without being able to know whether or not they're real, and in some sense understanding that we can't know whether or not they're real. But the crazy thing is that whether or not the story is real, the impact of the story on people exposed to the story absolutely is real. People are having real reactions to the stories they're being told, whether or not those stories represent a discernible reality or whether they are purely fiction from the ground up. All these various methods of storytelling, whether it's through a movie or a television show or the media or social media or songs or video games, they can all be used to disseminate the same messages to the same people. And once those messages get in, once that illusion of an underlying reality begins to get in, it can hijack people's emotions and convince them to engage in certain behaviors or even experience certain emotions and share those emotions. For instance, in 2020, we saw mass societal panic about a disease that, if the statistics are correct, and of course they're not, only would kill one out of every 1,000 people who get it, a fatality rate lower than the average flu. But because of the story and because of people's reactions, that disease was enough to shut down societies the world over. And I'm not making the argument that COVID was fake, though it may well be. That is not the point of this. The point is that the story is what created the panic, not the disease itself. The story on its own was able to do that because it captured people's attention and imagination. It convinced them that the threat was real. And so they responded to that threat as if it was not only real, but one of the most extreme threats anyone had ever faced. The story could have been totally disconnected from any underlying reality and the effect of the story would still be real in the world. And in that instance, which part should we focus on? I would suggest we focus on the part we know to be real, which is our own reaction. And while the solution is not to go around thinking everything is fake and just ignoring all of it, though that's probably preferable to assuming all of it's real, we need to at least consider that things might be fake and then temper our emotions and our reactions until we can glean a better understanding of that underlying reality. So last week we talked about the Ukrainian drones, these unmanned so-called maritime surface drones that sped through the water targeting a Russian tanker and caused damage to the engine room. This was called an escalation in the conflict that could lead to all sorts of new problems eventually even nuclear war. And of course, we have heard that possibility mentioned now for roughly a year and a half. The fear created by that story leads people to accept all sorts of policies, all sorts of actions by their government in their name. 
based only on the threat of a potential future event, that threat of a potential future event leading to actual events in the real world, consisting mostly of people's actions, which then create their consent for more real world events. Without the reaction to the story, we don't have the consent. Without the consent, it's harder for the government to continue doing what it's doing in our name once it lacks our permission. In order to retain our permission and consent to do any of this, they have to keep increasing the stakes on this story. A year and a half in, and a lot of people just really are no longer up for supporting this whole Ukraine effort. The polling has reversed completely. It's something like 65% of Americans now opposed to sending more aid to Ukraine to keep this conflict going. And since we can't just very well let go of this entire war story, this war story is very important. Well, we need to increase the stakes. We need to bring people's attention back. And so we're getting a series of new stories. Once they've recaptured our attention, then they can escalate. And with that escalation, we will know this time they are telling the truth. This represents a real potential threat, not like those potential threats they told us about before. We'll just recapture their attention, raise the stakes, and then move into a new storyline that will keep propelling the agenda forward. Last week, for some reason, the regime decided to send Chris Christie over to meet with Volodymyr Zelensky. Now, every time I say a sentence like that, especially in the context of what I've just been talking about for the last 20 minutes, it's important to remember that absolutely none of this has to be real and representative of an underlying reality in the world. Do we know that Volodymyr Zelensky is even in Ukraine? Of course we don't know that. Do we know that Chris Christie visited him in Ukraine? Well, we don't know that either, especially if we don't know Zelensky's in Ukraine in the first place. But if we're just taking this at surface level, there are still things that we can understand about what's going on. So this is last week, CBS News on August 4th. That's Friday. Chris Christie makes surprise visit to Ukraine, meets with Zelensky. Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie made an unannounced trip to Ukraine Friday, meeting with President Volodymyr Zelensky and visiting Bucha and Moshun, two sites devastated by the war with Russia, now in its second year. And it shows big old Chris Christie with a bouquet of blue and yellow flowers that it looks like he purchased at the grocery store. Christie visited Bucha, where over a thousand civilians are believed to have been killed by Russian troops last year. Many of the bodies showed evidence of torture. Last spring, upon liberating Bucha from Russian control, Ukrainians found civilians who had been shot in the head with their hands bound and mass graves filled with hundreds of bodies. Christie met with Bucha's mayor and visited the site of a mass grave. Now, are those people actually dead? Were there hands bound when they were killed? Were they shot in the head? Were they civilians? Were they killed by Russia? So there are a lot of factual claims made in those few sentences. All of those claims are to suggest to us that Russia are war criminals bent on torturing and killing 
Ukrainian civilians, innocent Ukrainian civilians are being tortured and killed by those evil Russians. That's what we were just told in those three sentences. Did the Russians actually do that? Well, how could we possibly know? We don't know if any of it's true. What we do know is that the stories we have received like this over the past year and a half have proved consistently to either be totally fake or to have been more compellingly attributed to the Ukrainians. Those same Ukrainians that we are told do not have Nazi battalions, even though every bit of reporting before this Russia-Ukraine conflict began suggests that not only do they have Nazi battalions, but that those Nazi battalions were trained by the CIA. It's awfully difficult to understand how we might have years of reporting about CIA-trained Nazi battalions that then we are later told simply don't exist. But CBS News wants us to know that Russia are the evildoers. It is a brutal Russian invasion. And these innocent Ukrainian civilians were tortured and had their hands bound before they were shot in the head and disposed of in mass graves. In Kyiv, Zelensky thanked Christie for visiting Bucha and for U.S. support of Ukraine and said he would share some details about the counteroffensive against Russia with Christie. Why in the world would the comedic actor in Ukraine be sharing details about the spring-summer counteroffensive that kind of never began and is also over and is also about to relaunch and will surely be successful even though it has already failed? Why would he be sharing details of that with the former governor of New Jersey who's essentially been out of politics for six years? and is now pretending to run for president, even though he has absolutely no chance of winning any delegates anywhere. He is one of the most unserious candidates anyone could ever imagine, and he basically only exists to go out on television and say bad things about Donald Trump. Why is he over in Ukraine talking to the comedic actor president about war plans? And specifically about war plans that were leaked to the entire world just a few months ago before the spring slash summer counteroffensive even began. Afterwards, Zelensky tweeted that it was very important that Christie, quote, began his visit to Ukraine with a visit to Bucha to see with his own eyes the threat to freedom and to everyone in the world posed by Russian aggression. He also thanked all Americans for their support and expressed confidence that Ukraine would prevail in the war against Russia. Christie told Zelensky that the biggest reason for his travel to Ukraine was so that he could see for himself what was happening there, so that he could tell other people about it. He said he mentioned to Bucha's mayor that in the U.S., the Ukrainian flag is being raised everywhere. There will always be political arguments, he told Zelensky, but he believes the majority of the American people agree on supporting Ukraine. And of course, according to the most recent polling, take it for what you will, that's not true. Most Americans are not for continuing to support Ukraine and continuing to send weapons and money. They don't want things to be escalated there. They want a quick end to this. A reporter traveling with Christie asked about Americans who think U.S. support of Ukraine is a waste of money that would only prolong the war. That's why I came. 
Americans have become a particularly visual nation, Christie replied. Things are not as real to them if we don't see them. He added, I'm here because I want the American people to see what I'm seeing. So Chris Christie is straight up just admitting, coming out and saying that he went over there. So essentially pictures could be taken of him, which would give Americans a reason to look at the story again. And then the media, the regime could pile in all the information, all the elements of the central narrative necessary to support Christie's visit. We get to see pictures of Chris Christie with Volodymyr Zelensky somewhere out on a street in the woods with a big bouquet of grocery store flowers. And that is supposed to convince us to keep supporting this war against Russia's brutal invasion. But of course, no one really cares about Chris Christie. The net effects of his trip are a small amount of news coverage, most of it mocking Chris Christie, all of it a transparent ploy to gain the public's attention and make them feel some emotions about what we're told happened in Bucha a long time ago that almost definitely did not happen. And if it did happen, has been misattributed. Apparently, the calculation is if we don't continue seeing this story, we're going to forget it exists in the first place. And if we could simply forget a story so dramatic and important, we are told, consider what that says about the real world effect of that story in our own lives. Now, Chris Christie doesn't have the clout or the importance. He can't capture the attention of anyone. So that story is hardly even worth showing anyone, but they do it because they need content. Apparently they need pro Ukraine war content. So they take an also ran fake presidential candidate, send him on a fake diplomatic mission to talk to a comedic actor president and remind us about a story we heard like a year ago about those mean, evil, dastardly Russians. And that's supposed to convince Americans to continue sending weapons and money and maybe one day soldiers over to the other side of the world to defend the global regime's proxy state in Ukraine, one of the most corrupt countries in the world as agreed to by regime media. So we can preserve that fertile ground for their bioweapons labs, Nazi battalions, human trafficking, drug trafficking, and money laundering. And oh yeah, we might as well extend their ethnic civil war that has been ongoing for nine years now. What magnificent goals we have over there. Now, of course, Chris Christie does not have the capacity to heighten the drama to its proper levels, so we need an additional story. That is just like the amuse-bouche on the latest Ukrainian drama. You can't expect that that is going to be the whole meal. It's just a tray past appetizer while you're sipping cocktails before everyone sits down. Here's the real story this week. This is from CNN on Monday. Ukraine says it's foiled assassination plot against Zelensky. An alleged informant for Russia has been detained in connection to a plot to assassinate Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The Ukrainian Security Service, SBU, said Monday. 
So before we get caught up in the details, let's just make sure we know what we're being told here. Ukraine's security service says that they detained an alleged Russian informant in connection to a plot to assassinate the comedic actor in Ukraine. The detained woman has not been named publicly, but is from the southern Ukrainian region of Mykolaiv, according to a statement from the SBU. So there is this woman from the southern Ukrainian region that has not been named. She has been detained in connection to a plot to assassinate the comedic actor. The SBU said she had been gathering intelligence about Zelensky's planned visit to Mykolaiv at the end of July in order to plan a Russian airstrike to kill the president. So the unnamed Russian woman was tracking Volodymyr Zelensky better than any satellite could, better than the Russian military could. They need this woman on the ground to figure out exactly where Volodymyr Zelensky is so that Russia can launch an airstrike to kill him. The SBU said that it caught the woman red-handed as she was, quote, trying to pass intelligence to the invaders. In monitoring the communications of the woman, the SBU established that she also had the task of identifying the location of electronic warfare systems and warehouses with ammunition of the armed forces, as if Russia has no idea where that stuff is. She allegedly traveled around the territory of the district and filmed the locations of Ukrainian objects. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to make of this? According to the investigation, the perpetrator was a resident of Ochakov in the Mykolaiv region and a former saleswoman in a military store. Zelensky has faced several known attempts on his life since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of his country in February 2022. Russian special forces were tasked with eliminating the Ukrainian president at the start of the war. See that? Russia has been trying this whole time and failing this whole time. Their special forces just aren't up to the task of killing the Ukrainian actor. He's too crafty. He's too shifty. He's too brave. He just moves around wherever he needs to. He's like a lightning bug. Oh, there he is. Oh, now he's disappeared. Oh, there he is. Now he's disappeared. Can't somebody get the jar and capture Volodymyr Zelensky? Well, don't ask Russian special forces. They're just not up to the task. In a profile published in April 2022, Time magazine described how Russian troops had parachuted into Kyiv to kill or capture Zelensky and his family on February 24th, the day after the war began. And thank goodness Russia was unable to do that or we never would have gotten those elaborate photo shoots of the comedic actor and his wife in a war zone in high fashion, photographed by any Leibovitz. As Ukrainian forces fought Russians on the streets of Kyiv, the presidential guard tried to seal the compound using police barricades and piles of plywood, time reported. Alexei Arestovich, a military intelligence veteran, said rifles and bulletproof vests were handed out to Zelensky and about a dozen aides as Russian troops made two attempts to storm the presidential compound. It was an absolute madhouse, Arestovich told Time. Automatics for everyone. Zelensky ignored his bodyguard's advice to flee the compound and also refused the offers of British and American forces to evacuate him. He responded with the famous line, I need ammo. 
not a ride. Later, Zelensky walked outside the compound to film a defiant video message on his phone as Ukrainian troops battled Russians in nearby streets. Ukrainian presidential advisor Mikhailo Podolyak said in March last year that Zelensky had survived more than a dozen assassination attempts. Foreign sources talk of two or three attempts. I believe there have been more than a dozen such attempts. We are constantly receiving intelligence that there are certain reconnaissance groups trying to enter government quarters and the like. Podolyak was quoted in Ukrainska Pravda as saying, and the article goes on portraying Volodymyr Zelensky as steadfast and brave, courageous in the face of these assassination attempts. But all, and I mean absolutely all of the information about this most recent assassination attempt was contained in those first few sentences. And the rest of the article just explains the official story, the official backstory of assassination attempts against Volodymyr Zelensky from a year and a half ago. This entire article published by CNN is essentially just a reprinting of what Ukrainian intelligence says about someone they claim is a Russian informant trying to gather intelligence for an assassination attempt that will come by airstrike. They don't even seem to be trying. Imagine you portrayed yourself as the most trusted name in news, and all you were doing was reprinting what was said by Ukrainian intelligence officials who are essentially just regime intelligence officials. And based on that, you are going to tell the world that Russia is trying to assassinate Volodymyr Zelensky with an airstrike. This is not about reporting the news. This is not about describing reality. This is a very cheap and unsophisticated attempt to capture people's attention and emotions. The comedic actor who we have shown you, you all must love, might die at the hands of those brutal Russians. This isn't even a story about an assassination attempt. This is a story that suggests that there might be planning for a potential assassination attempt sometime in the future and then to make sure we know that's real, they remind us about these other assassination attempts that just never really actually happened. And all of this is only meant to continue this Ukrainian war effort and create consent of the American public for more tax dollars and more weapons to be sent over to Ukraine. And what is the purpose of all of this? Well, Douglas McGregor, who has been one of the most consistent and reliable voices on this entire situation for the last year and a half, said this in an interview this week. Remember, the globalist elites rule in Europe just as they rule here. And they've all gotten where they are with the aid and assistance of enormous quantities of money, because the people that control your financial markets and financial institutions, the people that control your mainstream media, they now control your governments. And they don't represent the interests of any of the Europeans, and I would argue of most Americans. They represent their own interests, and their agenda is to destroy Russia. Now, why? Well, they'd like to replace Putin because Putin presides over the last major power in Europe, and it is part of Europe, that has uh, a national identity, a national language. 
a national culture that mm-hmm. rests on the foundation of Orthodox Christianity. That makes Russia the enemy of the globalists. What have the globalists done to us? What have the globalists done to the people in Western and much of Europe? Well, they flooded our countries with non-Europeans with the specific goal of diluting us, weakening us, destroying our national identity, eliminating our national culture, certainly expunging any remaining power that Christianity may wield culturally inside the West. And they want to do that to Russia because Russia has a bonus resources, enormous resources, mineral resources, agricultural resources, and obviously oil, gas, and many other rare metals. These things are also at the top of the agenda. So if you can destroy the Russian government, if you can remove Putin, if you can get into Russia, you can strip it of its resources and enrich yourself that much further than you've already done by your behavior over the last several, I would argue, decades. So that's where we are, and that's why Russia has to go. Russia's holding out. Russia is not on board with the global agenda. That's the problem. You cannot have a one world global government if certain powerful countries are not playing along. They could make do without some small countries, knowing they'd eventually take those small countries over. But they can't do without Russia. They can't do without China. They can't do without the United States. That's what all of this effort is about. They want to destabilize these countries, destabilize the economies, influence them in whatever ways they can. Financial sanctions, wars, immigration. Eventually, they will replace the leaders, trick the people or convince the people, get the people's consent to move forward. And then the borders go away. The sovereignty goes away. And each country is subsumed into that global order. They can't have a country like Russia standing in the way. They can't have a country like the United States standing in the way. This is why they need to steal elections around the world. And this is why the BRICS coalition is such a threat. The propaganda media of the global regime continues to try to convince us that the global regime is best for us and that the global regime is ascendant. And we should all welcome that. We should go along with it. We should help them push this agenda forward. And they make a great effort to project that in the world and project strength. But the strength is actually slipping away in many places. And one of those places is China, which is why we are now in the process of being led into a China-Taiwan conflict meant to mirror the Russia-Ukraine conflict. They are going to attempt to coerce our consent to act the same way in quote unquote, defense of Taiwan that we are acting in, quote unquote, defense of Ukraine. And who are they going to get to make that case? Well, how about Chris Christie? So Ukraine is the undercard. It's the undercard because the Chinese who are funding the Russian aggression uh, against Ukraine um, are watching. And if we cut and run on Ukraine, uh, the next uh, fight is going to be in Taiwan. And There, it's not going to be us just supplying weapons. It's going to be um, American men and women who are going to be sent three quarters of the way around the world uh, to fight there. And they're going to have to fight there not only to protect the freedom of Taiwan, uh, but for those who don't care about that, um, be practical. Two thirds of the world's semiconductors 
are produced in Taiwan. Uh, everything that runs our cell phones, our computers, our automobiles, and just about every other element of American life now um, will be controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I don't think that's a place that we want to be in from a practical economic or technological perspective. And when you look at what's happening here, then go to the Middle East. The Iranians are obviously coordinating with the Russians and the Chinese to provide more sophisticated weaponry to the Russians. Uh, and the folks in the Middle East, whether it's the Saudis, the Emiratis, um, the Qataris, are all going to look at this and say, it's not worth it to be friends with the United States anymore. We might as well cut the best deal we can with the Chinese, because when things get tough, uh, Americans run the other way. So we can't cut and run on Ukraine. We have to stay in Ukraine. We have to escalate in Ukraine. We have to make sure that the brutal Russian invasion cannot succeed in Ukraine. Because if that happens, then China will succeed in Taiwan. China will take over Taiwan unless we win in Ukraine. Does that make sense? Well, no, of course not, unless you somehow think that America winning in Ukraine is going to scare the Chinese enough to ignore Taiwan and not recapture Taiwan, which America already considers part of China. And then if we don't defend Taiwan, well, the Iranians are just going to do whatever they want. And then the Saudis and the Emiratis, except they're already all on the same page. They already don't care what the fake president Joe Biden is doing around the world. Joe Biden is not even taken seriously by these leaders. Putin won't talk to him. Leaders all around the world won't talk to him. She practically owns him. Is anyone going to pretend that the solution to all of this is to elect Chris Christie, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and leaders from Iran and Saudi and UAE? are just going to be subdued by the great gravitational force of Chris Christie's orbit? Well, no, none of that is going to happen. And it's kind of amazing that he diverts so quickly from the moral justification he's making in defense of Taiwan to simply saying, we need to go to war over semiconductors. Now, thankfully, we had a few years of Donald Trump as president, and part of Donald Trump's presidency was centered around decoupling from China and Chinese influence and Chinese domination in the manufacturing of critical goods like semiconductors and, for that matter, pharmaceuticals and whatever else. These eventualities were being planned for long before the fake president entered the White House. But in years past, People would freak out at the suggestion that we might be going to war for oil. People would avoid that claim at all costs because it was so blatantly immoral. You can't go shed blood to steal the natural resources of another country. We took that for granted. But now we are being told on mainstream television that it is acceptable and not only acceptable, it is necessary for us to go to war to protect semiconductors. Because we need them so bad to operate our economy and to go about our daily lives. They are explicitly making the argument that World War III may just be necessary so we can continue using our advanced electronics. 
And where have all the peaceniks gone? Where have the anti-war protesters gone? Oh, yeah. They became COVID superfans, and now they're willing to support whatever the TV tells them to support because they believe that the biggest threat in the world is actually Donald Trump and his supporters. Now, what Chris Christie is saying is obviously nothing new. We have heard this run up to this China-Taiwan conflict for years now. At the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict over a year and a half ago, I was talking about how we would see the replay of that with China and Taiwan. They were going to be similar conflicts. They were going to be similar narratives. And we would eventually see that the two situations that are portrayed as somehow separate are actually the same thing happening in both places. These powerful countries who are separating from the global regime are going to attempt to eliminate the threat posed by the global regime that exists on their border. For Russia, it was the expansion of NATO closer and closer to Russian territory, long seen as aggression by the global West, weapons on the border, bioweapons labs close to the border, an ethnic civil war being waged in the regions of eastern Ukraine close to the Russian border, the ethnic Russians in those regions under attack, and then China wanting to eliminate the threat of the global regime and its control over first Hong Kong that was kind of resolved a few years ago, and now Taiwan. Taiwan is formally part of China, according to the United States' own policy, the One China policy. That is our formal policy with China regarding Taiwan, yet we will still be told that China will invade Taiwan as if it's actually our country and the global regime that Taiwan is a part of and not China. Now, we have already seen for the last year and a half that we are unable, and by we, I mean not only the United States, but the global regime, the West, we are unable to stop Russia in its tracks in Ukraine. It's been over 17 months now, and those 17 months have been an abject failure for the West and a resounding success for Russia. The sanctions didn't work. The money, the weapons, the military intelligence, the targeting, none of that has worked. None of it has stopped Russia. To most rational observers, Russia looks relatively stronger in comparison than they did a year and a half ago, which is not to say that they haven't been weakened at all throughout this process. But just that relative to the West, they have been weakened to a lesser degree. And this is on display for the world at this point. They can say whatever they want about Joe Biden strengthening the European alliances and NATO. But that is simply not true. And while in a relative sense, the global West, the regime has been weakened in relation to Russia, they have also been weakened in relation to China, who has just been sitting by supporting Russia, working on the BRICS thing and biding their time. And now we have escalation on that front as well. Monday, CBS News, U.S. Navy sends four destroyers to Alaska coast after 11 Chinese and Russian warships spotted in nearby waters. The U.S. Navy sent destroyers to the coast of Alaska last week after 11 Russian and Chinese warships were spotted patrolling nearby international waters. 
Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska, called the size of the Chinese and Russian joint operation unprecedented and said the U.S. deployed four Navy destroyer ships near the Aleutian Islands in response. The destroyers were the USS John McCain, USS Benfold, USS John Finn, and USS Chung Hoon. U.S. aircraft were also in the area throughout the combined exercise, which the U.S. had been tracking since it began in July, according to U.S. officials. U.S. Coast Guard ships are also always in the area. U.S. Northern Command said the Chinese and Russian patrol remained in international waters and wasn't considered a threat. But the show of force is a reminder of the cooperation between the Chinese and Russian militaries and of how close the countries are to Alaska. A similar joint exercise took place last September when the U.S. Coast Guard encountered seven Chinese and Russian ships near Alaska, all in a single formation. China and Russia have increased their ties amid tensions with the U.S. over Taiwan and Ukraine, making situations like this more alarming. In a statement, the Chinese embassy said the patrol was part of an annual cooperation plan and, quote, has nothing to do with the current international and regional situations. Donald Trump responded to this new development on Truth Social on Monday, writing, Russia and China would not be putting ships dangerously off the coast of Alaska if I were president. No way, no how. No respect for Biden. And that is really the point of all of this. That is the takeaway, that these countries do not respect Biden. They don't fear Biden. And they don't even really recognize that Biden is president because, of course, he isn't a real president. He's not a legitimate president. He doesn't seem to be able to exercise the power of his office in most domains, which is what one would expect when you can't take office legitimately. I've said countless times, including I think yesterday, that there is no way that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and other world leaders are unaware that Joe Biden did not receive anywhere near 81 million real lawful American votes. They have intelligence agencies. They have cybersecurity experts. They know what's going on. They don't get their information from CNN and the New York Times. They're not fooled by these media stories about how Joe Biden got all of these millions of votes in the middle of the night and somehow defeated Donald Trump. The next morning, we just woke up and the landslide victory from Trump was gone, replaced by a landslide victory of Joe Biden. And his vote totals just continued to rise over the next few weeks so that we could all see, oh, Joe Biden won by 7 million votes. And look at these results in the Electoral College. All of this free and fair, safe and secure. The reported results reflecting the will and intent of the American voters. Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping do not get fooled by the American mainstream media and by the Krasenstein brothers on Twitter. They're not swayed by the argument that Trump lost his 60 court cases. That means that the elections are totally legit. Imagine being a world leader and being convinced by that. The arguments that the people make who believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. Donald Trump lost his court cases. Bill Barr said 
to that point, he had seen no evidence of widespread fraud that would change the outcome of the election. Chris Krebs from CISA says it's the safest and most secure election of all time. We are supposed to expect that world leaders are convinced by the same arguments that your barista or your friend from yoga class or a fashion blogger is convinced by? Well, no, of course not. And that's the entire point. To the extent that there is an underlying reality about all of this, they would be in a far better position to know than the people who are getting their information from mainstream American sources. They know what's going on while we are all simply reacting to a series of stories, none of which are required to be connected to an underlying reality in any way. And so ultimately, it is a matter of what we find convincing at a society-wide level. It is about where the collective mindset is. They want to be able to create the conditions for a believable war effort so that the people will give their consent to this ongoing effort for as long as necessary, as much money, as much weaponry, as many troops as necessary to continue the effort to make that the center, the focus of everything. And while all of that is being ramped up by the regime, by the global regime, by the mainstream media, what is the response? What is the strategy here? The strategy is to make sure that the people's consent cannot be gained through those methods, that the people cannot be tricked into believing all of this and then going along with it because we do not want to end up in World War III. And it's not a matter of backing down because of weakness, because the U.S. now fears Russia and China. It's a matter of understanding that the underlying issues are not what we are being told. And that fact alone means that we cannot give our consent to furthering this war effort. We don't need to be able to discern all of the underlying reality, the truth or falsity of each and every claim to understand that the narrative, the story we are being told is false from the bottom up and maybe not completely, but in enough ways to know that the meaning they're expecting us to draw from this story, to draw from these events is not actually justified by the events. And therefore the reaction they want us to have does not make sense. When we withdraw our belief, we withdraw our consent. And when we withdraw our consent, if the regime still decides to move forward, then they do it fully exposed and the public turns on them and they can't risk that because they are not prepared to do what is necessary to subdue the public by force once the public en masse begins to oppose them and they are on track for that result. The tail doesn't actually have the power to wag the dog if the dog refuses to go along with it. I will be back very soon, hopefully tomorrow, but maybe more likely Friday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me 
and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!